0: So this week Wolf I'm going to talk about hackathons.
1: Hackathons. It's yes. not a, like a hecklethon, because that's what I do to you.
0: Heckle hackathon. It would be a hecklethon or a hackathon.
1: That sounds like an Olympic event.
0: Yeah, 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 So since I'm not ready to take part in any Olympic events, let's just call it a hackathon. Okay. Um and the reason that I want to talk about this for a couple minutes is because You want to brag? Because I want to talk about what I was doing two weeks ago. Now we didn't have a show last week due to Thanksgiving, but the the week before that, during my topic and when I kind of took over the show uh, to talk about WatchKit, I mentioned that I was going to the WatchKit Hackathon in I believe it was Mountain View, California in Silicon Valley. That the next weekend after that that show, and to participate in in that, and I don't I don't go to hackathons. I guess, basically at all. And mm-hmm. um, we'll talk more about that at the end if we have time. But I did go to this one, so I want to talk about my experience there and maybe generalize that a little bit. So this one was interesting and in then it was only a day. And so some hackathons are sort of you know, your whole weekend. This was only one day. And that really makes it clear, you know, how little time you have with it. So by the time sort of all the introductions were done and by the time you factored in that we had to end at like 4 p.m. so that they could go through all the entries and have the demos. There were only about five or six hours to do any work at all on this on your project, whatever it was. And you all know as developers that five or six hours is virtually no time to do anything, mm-hmm. really. Especially when working with a new technology. Anyone who would promise to, oh, hey, I'll get you this new app, you know, in less than a day, is, mm-hmm. is smoking something. Um, which may or may not be legal in whatever state you're in at at the moment. Now, even with that, even with the fact that we're only one day, the fact that it was WatchKit did bring out a lot of people. There were at least 30, there were 30 plus teams that registered for the demos. There were probably more people than that there. And so the demos actually took a while. They took probably about two hours to, to do, from my recollection, even though you were only supposed to have about two minutes to do your demo. So... People in the audience will be saying, well, but two times 30, that's only 60 minutes. So once you get over all the problems you have with, you know, connecting people's laptops to the to the screen and everything else, you know, it, it does that up. What was interesting for me about WatchKit was that it was not all developers. Mm. I would have expected it to be primarily developers saying, right. hey, let's learn how this stuff works. And it was not. There were a lot of designers there. Mm. There were a lot of what I would, for lack of another word, call entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Um, visionaries Uh, so that on my team the team that I sort of cobbled together from people and these are all people that I met there I was the only developer so as the the clock ticked down to our 4pm deadline that got to be a bit nerve wracking there you know I couldn't say oh hey you do this right No, either I finished it or we didn't finish it
1: were they pulling pulling any PHP CEO on you what? B H B C O C E O. CEO, yeah. It's a it's a Twitter account that kind of um, kind of codifies the the archetype of the the angry um <laughs> entrepreneur that's <laughs> that i not th- technical. Seen that, I, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. No, no. They uh, very pleasant people okay, okay. that I worked with. Very easy easy to get along with people. <clears throat> Mostly designers. So there was uh, and I guess I can go over what the app did if if you're interested. Yes. But, um in a minute. But um So, yeah, yeah, there were some pictures to put together and icons and things, and they did that while I was working on the code. Now, they said with people who were running the hackathon, and this was something where Capital One was a big sponsor, but I think uh, Ben Morrow I think was the person who was kind of leading the charge, but then there were a bunch of people from from Capital One who were helping on as well. And um, the uh, uh, Model model View Controller song guy...
1: Yeah, James Dempsey.
0: James Dempsey was one of the was one of the uh, judges, so, so that was fun. Uh, so, what they said, people in charge said, was that they prioritized working code over pitches. Mm. So, they really wanted to see what you were actually going to do, as opposed to with with the code with the with the the watchkit SDK, as opposed to just something that you Photoshop together. In practice, some of the pitches won out for the various categories that they were describing over working code. And I think some of that was because it was just so limited in what you could do. Now, we went over what you could actually do with WatchKit at all, conceptually. But even with that, with the, the version that we had, which was just the simulator, you could do even less. Uh, you couldn't actually do notifications, for example. The best you could do is have some dummy notification data that showed up when you first launched the notification pane mm-hmm. in watch get in the simulator. So that, you know, and that made it harder to do a demo where you said, well, we want to have our server talk to the, your app, which talk to your, the watch. So yeah. So blue skying was a lot easier than trying to work within that. Uh, the one in particular I remember, and there, there were others too that also specifically mentioned things that weren't possible. But the one I remember was someone said, well, your watch will notice when you shake hands three times with someone. Hmm. That'll be kind of your signal to do something for the watch to do something for you. And I was thinking, you know, there's no way that's going to work unless you strap your phone to your wrist. You know, you're not going to be able to get that data of, uh-huh. of, the, of your hand shaking. So uh, and very few apps did what I think would be the majority of real world apps would do, which is take data from an existing system and show it on the watch. Um, I think the one Hey Hey Inc. Hey Co.com or Hey.co, whatever it is. Um one of the developers there actually did a little app that showed some of that data from from Hey, which was which was interesting to see. Um some of the other apps there was a there was a FART app, of course. Now you might be wondering how could you have a FART app when you can't do anything with the
1: You can't even play a sound, right?
0: You can't play a sound. Yeah. It was it was a way to initiate the Fart app. <laughs> So when you're when you're well, at turkey worth dinner, the, that's a third family three
1: hundred dollars yep. right there. Yeah.
0: Well, so his idea was that you somehow hide your phone underneath someone's chair for Thanksgiving of your family members. So I mean, it was a nice that, story, but you know
1: that yeah. is a good use of technology right there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and the other one that I remember is S- Scroll for Sushi, which is a pretty cool name. Uh, the thing that I remember was that the, the the app looked good and it was again mostly, you know, you, you initiate buying food from. Restaurant having mm-hmm. it delivered to you through your watch, mm. uh, and the UI was good. What I thought was, was interesting was that you didn't actually scroll to order the sushi, <laughs> you actually had to do like tap something. Mm. So, you know, a bit of false advertising, mm-hmm. otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. very nice. So, let's see. So, the app that I put together was because I decided that I was also not going to do something practical, as most people weren't really doing necessarily doing something that you could, that you could do right away. So I made a game and i made a social game where you put several people's watches together and you somehow figure out that everyone's playing the same game and you start it. And it's a series of shapes that get shown shapes and colors. And if they all match according to certain criteria and you tap, you know, you're supposed to tap on your watch. And if you tap first, then you get the most points. And if you tap uh, later than that, you get some points. And if you tap when they don't match, you subtract points from that. Mm. And so you know, very simple. Mm-hmm. But even that turned out to be more than you could do mm. in in you know in a day. And the big problem was actually the communication yeah. between the different between the different watches. You could do this using GameKit. Yeah, you probably couldn't do this just through the watch. From what I can see from GameKit, No, I haven't actually shipped anything with GameKit myself, but from looking through the documentation afterwards, you basically need the, the the UI on the phone. So you'd have to take out your phone mm-hmm. to, to sign in. After that, you'd probably be able to do everything else. Uh, choosing game partners, you'd probably still be able to do through the watch if mm-hmm. you put your phone away. But you know, that takes a lot of the fun out of it if you have to take your phone out to do that. But it so, but we could manage to do a demo where it was sort of pre-coded the the, the game session. So instead of the watches needing to talk to each other, this each simulator uh, xcode had to have that game file distributed to it at a certain time that you knew that you were going to start the game. Um, and that did, that did do pretty well. We got some, some accolades for, for that idea. Um, so one of the interesting things about the hackathon is that you, since you don't have time to put together complex things, judging is also very simple Mm -hmm. and that you get judged on, on very simple criteria, um, whatever gets sort of picked out of your demo because you only have a little bit of time. So, you know, people got, yep. Sort of stuff picked up because they looked, they looked nice. They got picked up because of a particular idea that they had, for the most part, as opposed to you know people pouring through your code and, and saying, oh, this this person's code is better than that person's code, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so let's see. I don't know that much more time, but I guess I'll, I'll f- uh, finish up by saying by comparing this to the other hackathon that I've been a part of, which Wolf, you can you can guess. I can guess. Yes, which would be MacHack, mm-hmm. which was a long time ago. Uh, probably most of the people coding now are not familiar with MacHack, mm-hmm. most of the iOS developers out there. So MacAc was something that took place, and um, I guess there's probably a web page for it somewhere, uh, they might even talk about it on, on Wikipedia, something that took place kind of in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> um, and it was all weekend. So those things together would probably be enough to keep me from going to it now, and might... You know, keep a lot of people going to it now. But it was kind of a, you know, you think, well, why would you ever do that? Well, because it was a social gathering. Yeah, it was there also really...
1: it was, yeah, kind of pre-internet, too, really. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, uh, yeah. I mean, the internet came on when well, I mean, we joined, but, you know, it started before we really had the internet.
0: Right. Right. So it had its traditions all set up before mm-hmm. there were easy ways of people communicating. And so, yes, it was a great networking experience. It was also, you know, the the, the prizes for these hackathons probably are usually not very much because... You know, there are a dime a dozen hackathons go on every weekend. I don't think there was actually any monetary prize at MacHack, but from what I could tell, the people who won the hack each year were often contacted by Apple Teams Mm -hmm. for for jobs. So it was really about getting the accolades, you know, pursuing your, uh, furthering your career was, you know, if you were look at it sort of cold that was one reason to go and to do that there were sessions there, but they weren't the focus. It was really all about just sitting around, usually staying up all night and doing that. Cause it was all at one hotel. So we all kind of stayed in the hotel in the big, big center room there. So there are a lot of differences between those two, those two approaches. And I think most hackathons these days are kind of one day yeah. or that sort of thing. So it's really, it's less of a, of a big signature event and more just a thing you go to that's near you. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, you know, it's I, I found it enjoyable to do and, and worthwhile to sort of talk to the people involved in all this. Mm-hmm. So uh thoughts Wolf?
1: Yeah, so two things. Um first, I would say that that sessions were a pretty big part of Mac hack. I attended a bunch <laughs> of sessions and I, okay. I gave sessions and so to did say it was us a hack thing is I uh, think short selling, you know, it a bit. So I so I would disagree with all you right. there. Um the other thing is um so it's it's interesting. So as a as a gray fellow graybeard um hack hackathons have an interesting place, right? Because um you know, it's you would think it's kind of like this like testosterone machismo type thing where it's like uh you have you know this crushing deadline and this new technology and what can you possibly do and you think it this has no place with mature software professionals. And I would say it does. And I say it's almost a release valve that it's one of these things where the you know, your day job, you know, you should have something where that doesn't suck up your entire life that you have reasonable working hours that doesn't doesn't burn you out that you have real software engineering, you have unit tests, you have that. And but every once in a while you want to get on that Bronco, right? And I mean that's that's the only way to really appreciate your Honda Civic is to get on that Bronco and Let's go all out and do everything you're not supposed to do. And, and I think it's illuminating. Like it brings the, kind of like the adrenaline back to uh, programming for me. I, mean, I do hackathons. Uh, it's been a while since I've done uh, a hackathon, but um, there's, there's something very, very uh, fun about getting together with a bunch of people who you don't know and, just, and trying to, under a crazy deadline, and trying to make something real. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's very, your chances are you're not going to make it. And uh, that's, right. and that's part of the fun, fun too, is that, you know, you, the odds are against you. And so you, if you can actually pull it off, then the, then the bragging rights are all that sweeter. So it's, it's, it's definitely not one of these things you want, want to do probably even on a monthly basis, but it's definitely and fun yeah. mm-hmm. uh, as a, it's as a little spice to the profession. And I don't think, I think it's. It's not. It's the opposite of powerful. I think it's actually therapeutic to actually do it. It kind of, it kind of helps you. Um, I don't know. Kind of, in, kind of get get in touch with a bunch of things that you know you should suppress in professional software de- development. <laughs> and you know, after the weekend, you're hungover. You're kind of like, yeah, this is why we suppress this stuff.
0: Well, yeah, it was interesting to me how much social as- aspect there was to it. Um, you know, I was working with people that I had never met before. I had a lot of contact with with other people. Um, so, so yeah, I, I did like that piece of it. You know, you might think, well, hackathons are usually just heads down, mm-hmm. but a lot of it's, you know, if you do get something done, a lot of it has to do with, um, whether you can work well with people. Yeah. So there is that. Now, do you, are, are there a lot of hackathons, um, where you, where no. you've been?
1: No. Um, yeah. The last hackathon I actually did was I distributed one, which was, uh, online, uh, mm-hmm. which was, yeah. uh, a Node.js one. Um, who's no, it was called no knockout and, uh, did that. I think it was like three years ago or something like that now. So it was a while back. So I haven't, haven't done recently. You might be ready for a new one. You know, it's, it's about that time, right? It's like I said, monthly, you'll kill yourself maybe once a year, even that it's like maybe even push it, (laughs) but uh, yeah, yeah. Not too often. Cool. Okay. So I guess I'm ready for my topic, which is a sync, a wait, um so i know we call it
0: a a wait,
1: a wait. yes is
0: that what you're supposed to oh a, a wait, okay. a weight
1: yeah Go I, I probably put too much emphasis on the a there on the second a sorry about that but um so i i know we're not a topical show but um <laughs> <laughs> we seem we've been to saying be more this a lot more. lately right <laughs> i think maybe we need to come to grips with the fact that we maybe, maybe we're getting more topical i don't know <laughs> Yeah, maybe <laughs> um so uh, it's it's not really that topical because it's really old news by now. But uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Microsoft open-sourced a bunch of .NETs. That's right, yeah, yeah. Maybe not all of it, but it seems like most of it. I don't even know the details. But this reminds me of a topic. There are basically three things I'm interested in uh, technically you know, from from this. Is that C Sharp in general is actually a pretty cool language. Um, it is. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, I'm... And the, I'd like to talk about the you know, specific part that we're talk about tonight is the async await functionality, which is something that uh, Apple developers would be wise to learn how things could be made so much better for themselves. That we it's one of these glaring features that we don't have, but um, that will, that's what we'll talk about. And the other thing that I'm really interested in that we we don't have is PowerShell, which is uh, Microsoft's. Um, you know, Microsoft had this terrible. This, uh, terrible, I, I don't know what they call it. I just know it as DOS shell, which uh, it's, it's like you know, the, the command line in an MS Off, Microsoft Discovery system, was just horrendous compared to Unix in terms of its lack of power. And if you actually use the command line in Windows, this is like, you know, basically it had to you know, be bitwise compatible with it, and you know, they could add little features here and there. But PowerShell is kind of rethinking of it, where instead of just piping, uh, text streams or or byte streams to between processes, so you could have these tools that communicate with each other that you could actually pass C sharp objects ac- across each other. So you could do things like uh, pipe um, a, uh, Excel spreadsheet into a tool and then pipe it out, back out to an Excel spreadsheet. It was uh, it not it was it is very cool. And I'm actually there is a an open source project called Pash, which is some sort of like PowerShell. Uh, Clone rem- implemented in, on Mono, um, but I haven't used it. And I kind of tweeted about whether or not this is. I wonder if like Microsoft OpenSourcing.net actually makes this type of stuff like more feasible to, for us to get like PowerShell on OS 10. And the, the patch actually responded to to us, uh, well, not to us, to me, saying we th- we hope so. So I don't see. So I don't think they have definite plans there, but yeah. but maybe something along those lines. But anyway, but back to the the topic that I actually want to talk about. So um on the on the so async await is is really a cool feature of it's I think it's also in Visual Basic but uh, pretty much everything focuses on C# um that it allows it's uh, allows um it concurrent programming in a way that is and I, I guess I should say I forget which it, it, concurrency is in parallelism. Parallelism is a currency. I actually know the definition of this, but it's not in my head right now. But the idea is that the it enables you to do kind of multi thready type stuff that, that actually don't involve threads, but could involve threads. So you can kind of think of it as um, a Grand Central Dispatch or maybe uh, like you know NS operation. And NS operation queue. But uh, imagine if, if it's more like language in- integrated. And you might say right. that, mm-hmm. uh, like, Objective C, you know, and, and has blocks, right? So that's kind of language integrated. And, like, no, no, this is like a different class of stuff. So it's widely respected, and it's very cool how it works. Essentially, you write code that looks um, procedural, it looks like it will block. So uh, you have like your standard method, and you have, you have this um, method. Uh, uh, decoration on it that has the word async on it. And there's a really great blog posting from uh, Eric Litter that, uh, I'm sorry, Lippert, that talks about how (laughs) the naming on this is actually pretty bad. It's called uh, Asynchronous Programming in C Sharp 5.0 Part 2, Whence Await. And and I'll read from uh, his blog posting here because his choice of words is quite, quite wonderful, that he talks about the async modifier that you put on your method to kind of opt in to this, this new feature set. That. The sync modifier on the method does not mean this method is automatically scheduled to run on a worker thread asynchronously, which is might something that a person new to it might, might think. It means the opposite of that. It means the method contains control flow that involves awaiting asynchronous operations and will therefore be rewritten by the compiler into continuation processing style to ensure that asynchronous operations can resume this method at the right spot. The whole point of asynchronous methods is to stay on the current thread as much as possible. They're like coroutines. Async methods bring single-threaded cooperative multitasking to C-sharp. So uh, I, kinda, I kinda skipped ahead, but it kind of gets to the punchline of the cool technology that's in, in async await that await. I don't know I say why I want to say well, keep on saying await, but await. <laughs> that so you you decorate a method with the sync keyword. And then inside that method you can then use this await await uh keyword. And the await keyword is basically uh little It's close to the compiler saying I this is a point where you can rewrite my code for me to uh, to essentially, it ends up looking kind of like promises or like blocking a thread to to await for a result. And what it does is that it takes your code and it actually rewrites it into callback style. And specifically the, the computer science term for this is continuation passing style, which I'll link to. And so continuation passing style is kind of a big computer science topic in its own right but needless to say it's it's um it, it's there are is a spectrum that it's not just a matter of d- that do you support continuation passing style there's a bunch of related fun- functionality there. there's coroutines there's generators there's tail call optimization uh I'm sorry tail call el- elimination and so that's all involved and really it's it's probably too big a topic to tackle in this show. We can talk about like the wonders of tail call elimination in another show. Oh, come on, <laughs> five
0: more minutes, you can get it covered.
1: <laughs> um, it's, I mean, if, if we can assume that our audience understands assembly, then uh, it's pretty easy. <laughs> to, <laughs> it's pretty easy to go through. Uh, do, do you want to make that assumption?
0: I don't know assembly. Oh, okay, I mean, I well, okay. The,
1: I don't.
0: I don't know the current Intel assembly.
1: Oh, so. is, you know, this is a, so long as you understand. You know, you have instructions, and you have stack, and you have explicit stack. Oh, something. sure, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. We can we kind kind of walk through it there. So, uh, if you understand how like how things actually work at the assembly level, is that you have these um, like jump subroutine instructions, and even that is kind of a, a bit of a macro for the idea that in order to from one going from one subroutine to the next is that you take your current address, you push it on the stack, you and and then you push. Parameters or a different order, depends on what you do. And, but usually it's that way. And then, uh, I'm sorry, usually you push parameters, then you do jump subroutine. And it pushes the return address on the stack. And then, the so subroutine A calls subroutine B. Subroutine B gets entered, and it, it sets up its parameter list and a stack that it needs, does its work. And when it comes time to return, what it does is that it pops a stack of the return address, and it returns to that address. So it returns to its caller what continuation passing style is, is that you make the return address explicit. That you can say, instead of this always jumping to the caller, you can say, jump to this other thing instead. And there's some other things involved there, but if you can think about it, is that the jump happens after the stack is unwound. So interesting thing here is that we tend to think about like things where you build up your stack the deeper and deeper you go into into, uh, subroutines. But with continuation passing style with tail call elimination, that you can you can actually not have a stack at all, and this enables all sorts of interesting optimizations, and is that's why it's one of the really uh, favored by uh, recursive languages that tend to uh, tend to be you know, even like walking the list. Uh, if you have fifty thousand items in the list, uh, you probably don't have to build up a stack for fifty thousand uh, stack frames to uh, to. Uh, iterate that list so it turns out that it's, it sounds like a kind of obscure optimization But it turns out to be critical if you do something like a functional language, or if you're doing continuation passing style So the entire idea here is that we have callbacks and it and if you've programmed As Apple developers we've been kind of shielded by this, but we still have blocks and we still have uh, callbacks and it's it's not nearly as fine-grained as it is on, on say, like Node, on JavaScript, where on, on the Node platform, uh, callbacks are everywhere. And when callbacks are everywhere and everything doesn't return, uh, doesn't return a value, instead you, you pass in a function that would be called when something is completed, um, it, you get very nested very quickly. And you get this thing... I've heard it called different things, but what I tend to call it is the pyramid of doom that... <laughs> <laughs> that it gets very nested, and you end up with this triangular pattern where, like, every other line is is a call to the next asynchronous thing you want to do. Right. And mm-hmm. so the meat of your program is actually spread between all this all this uh, structure.
0: Yeah, makes it very hard to maintain. Very and, hard and, to maintain and update. Yeah. Yes,
1: and God help you if you need a loop in there. And that, <laughs> at that point, you're basically destructuring it, destructuring the loop. So you have to you have to basically roll your own loops. Uh, yeah. put error handling on top of that. And like I said, this is we're getting some of this in the Apple community. Um, I've seen in, in modern code, I've seen it maybe go down to three, maybe four levels. But that's mostly because yeah. our APIs aren't really super callback-based. In Node, they are. And um, interesting enough, that so Microsoft has this thing called uh, Windows RT or WinRT uh, for Windows Runtime. And I know very little about it, but apparently it has something to do with Windows 8 and uh, and with their tablets and their touch interfaces and all this. But they, but they are using uh, asynchronous APIs a lot more aggressively. And part of it is because of this new Async Await type functionality. Well,
0: it's and not it, that new anymore, right? It's I mean, not. It's,
1: it's, all this stuff yeah. is based in 2012 uh, is when it w- was introduced in uh, C Sharp 5.0. So, this is not you know bleeding edge stuff. this has been proven um, and they say t- between ten and fifty percent of their apis are asynchronous now, and they have a very interesting little metric here about when they decide whether the uh, API will be deemed asynchronous or not is that if it will take more than fifty milliseconds to execute, then they make it asynchronous so we so that's actually you know not that much time and I, I don't know why they chose that number in particular, but it gives you an idea for, I'm actually surprised that only 10 to 15% of their APIs are asynchronous. I would almost think it'd be more than that. But as Apple developers, we're taught to like, try to keep stuff off the main thread as much as possible for, for user interaction, um, to reduce the latency for user interaction. And <coughs> so, uh, don't get me wrong, Grand Central Dispatch does a great job of trying to get stuff off the main thread but once you so you know once you have stuff off the main thread this is where you, async await really shines is that all the callback mechanism that where your code is spread across the pyramid of doom like all like i said it ends up looking like a really poor performing threaded code where you're blocking and everything you're not letting anything proceed and you're thus assuming you have access to 1000 threads even though we know that you know throw a bunch of threads at a, a two core Four core, eight core machine, um, you get a lot of context swapping. You, you get uh, resource contention. So by, the, so at this point, they, you can take the the compilers, you know knows all the stuff. So it can take that code, it can rewrite it into the pyramid of doom for you. See, pr- humans are really bad at object graphs and deeply nested hierarchical structures but computers are great at this stuff. So, at this point it's it's allows, you know, the humans to work with the machines pretty well, that we can write in this way that humans understand, that it looks like blocking we can reason about it very effectively. It's uh, like I mentioned in that quote that it's a coopter of multitasking that a, a lot of the uh, problems we have that what we talked about like in the sequential consistency episode that things that are really hard to reason about when you can be preempted at any time kind of go away not totally there's a bunch of there's uh in- unintended reentrancy issues there but for the most part uh you can look write what looks like naive code and the compiler will step in re- rewrite it into the pyramid of doom for you and you know, this is and this is not like it's just like writing in from C sharp to C sharp. It's actually writing it into the uh oh, I forget, it was like the intermediate language or whatever? The C L whatever the C L R runs. Essentially the Java byte code, whatever they're calling it that. And so it's at a very low level, it's you know, it's at compiled. This is similar to what Arc is doing in terms of um you n- we never get to see the actual retains releases in the source code, even though we've asked for it. You know, it's it's just that sure. information is, mm-hmm. isn't there. But yeah, so it's, um, from what I can tell, I've been, you know, it seemed pretty bold when they when they came out with it, and I've been following it for a while, and it seems like it's been pretty much well accepted, and it seems like it's a stable technology. And I've looked around, and a lot of it's actually, interestingly enough, has to do with kind of like with the type safety of C Sharp and how they can represent things. And so I kind of looked, I wondered if Swift changed the story at all. And um, there are some Swift implementations that end up using Grand Central Dispatch to kind of pull off the the asynchronous nature of it and spinning stuff off and 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 bringing stuff back onto the thread, but um, it's, it's it really needs to be kind of language integrated, and this is not something that Swift or Objective C offers at this time. It and it's not that difficult. This is a kind of a it's a the computer science behind it isn't new. It's pretty old. Um, so rewriting all the stuff into a continuation passing style is a pretty straightforward transformation. And it fits really well with the idea of kind of um, making uh, pausing execution while you wait for IO or from other, other things. And what's interesting about this is that it's also pretty, pretty composable, that asynchronous stuff can call synchronous stuff, and synchronous stuff can call asynchronous stuff, and can build up pretty elaborate trees of asynchronous stuff. Um, all calling each other and it all just works. Um, probably a, a good example of how well it works is that the, uh, so you know how standard like C command line tools, they have, and we all have, you know, the main entry point. Well, on uh, Microsoft's platforms, their entry point is also main and it has to be, it can't be asynchronous, it needs to be synchronous. And so everything that you end up calling uh, has to kind of uh, boil down to something that is synchronous and it, what ha- ends up happening is that um, part of the rules for something that's asynchronous async await compatible is that it returns either a void, that is nothing at all, or it returns a task of type T. So uh, that is, uh, this True. is a generic type thing. So task, mm-hmm. you know, uh, left angle bracket, T right angle bracket. And uh, task returns a, essentially a wait for type thing like you can block on. So all that asynchronous machinery uh, that 's really composable underneath the covers underneath the hood gets kind of boiled down to this big honking wait for blocking thing when it needs to be synchronous at on the main thread at the user level thread in this a simple command line tool so i 've been you know this i haven 't really seen any problem with it other than the fact that it adds some weird complexity to the compiler that it 's kind of you know rewriting your code into a pyramid pyramid of doom uh behind your back, but if you know it 's doing that. Um, you know, it might have some of these same issues we were talking about with ARC, that is, is there's less of a one-to-one correspondence there. But again, as I mentioned, the sequential sequential, consistency episode, a lot of this is still all this make-believe that what we, the programs we write, and it, it's, we write to this machine model that isn't actually executing at all. It's executing a much more complicated machine model, actually on Metal. So we're all those programming and fantasy anyway, so I don't consider that a huge problem. Uh, especially if you're jumping down to the intermediate language representation, there, the, you're already you should know what you're doing when you're debugging that stuff. That's that hard. So um, I consider it a huge success. I consider it in the same caliber of success as um, Microsoft's link, the language integrated query. That this is a serious language uh, advancement that I really wish Apple would steal.
0: Well, have you have you had to debug? Applications that use this stuff heavily?
1: I have not so because
0: that's where I think it might it might the bleed through of the compiler changed it all around to be this thing that it's hard for humans to understand. Now you're stuck you know you have a breakpoint in the middle of it where like I don't even know where I am right now because i'm you know'm I'm, I'm, I'm three levels down in the in the basement of the pyramid ah. you know with the flashlight, and you know the mummies are awakening and <laughs> I'm in trouble, and you know how do i How do I figure out what to do, what to do next because mm-hmm. I've seen some of that even with blocks with cocoa oh, yeah. that if things get really nested, it can be hard harder to think of not, not really that not not impossible but just harder to think through where did I come from and where where have I been I mean if the line above the line you're looking at was you know the the last line of the previous you know, block for lack of a better word mm-hmm. that was called entirely differently than your block is getting called, then you don 't have any of that data either, so even if you do understand where you 're coming from, it can be pretty hard to debug because you don't have the same data that you have if it were all one block being executed synchronously so uh, that's where I think the problem the practical problems might be otherwise yeah it sounds it sounds better than cocoa. Because I have noticed that even with, you know, Grants Dispatch gave us these new tools to do this thing, but it's really cumbersome. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I think is most useful about it is that we are used to this idea of putting the rest of your method into a block to be called later. Mm-hmm. But Cocoa developers do think in those terms now, it's just very cumbersome. So when you were trying to explain, you know, all the, the low-level details of how all this stuff works, all my brain was thinking was, oh, they put it into a block. <laughs>
1: and they call yeah, up yeah. a later, you know? Yeah, and that's yeah. enough
0: to understand yeah. how it works.
1: Yeah, I should have gone Something. that way. Yeah. Uh two things. Yeah. Um you're you're right that um the like the lack of debugging inf- information can be problematic or or may, or maybe too much debugging information because now it's inserting a bunch of stuff you hadn't expected. Um it turns out that continuation, continuation passing style, that one of the problems with it is that because you're kind of like jumping from thing to thing without building up a stack is that, man, backtraces are useful. <laughs> and if you use a pure play continuation passing style, you'll be you'll be dropped into something and your context is minimal. Yeah. As a matter of fact, um, there is uh, there's a an implementation scheme called chicken a chicken scheme and it actually uses seriously that's what it's called Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it uses continuation passing style as a form of garbage collection because it's really really efficient of (laughs) as it goes just throwing away stuff as you go
0: just throw it all away yeah yeah
1: so but of course that in debugging wise it makes it hard (laughs) um the other thing is that uh, what what ends up being written isn't just a simple rewrite of the pyramid of doom um but at each level, essentially of the pyramid of doom, is that it ends up writing a state machine for you. Um, it it's a callback based state sure. machine. Yeah. And this actually reminds me a lot. If you look, if you look how blocks are actually implemented in C, yep. is that it actually it, it essentially emits a C plus plus class for each block, and you can see those show up in the <laughs> debugger. Yep. And it's very similar how we have these compilers that are doing these fun things for us of rewriting things and adding new structure on top of the, this, this simple code. And it's very similar to each other in terms of how they're adding structure to this. And, but then that you know, when the time, time comes to debugging, uh, you've got to figure out how all this stuff works.
0: Well, you said you throw away the stack. Well, you, you can't throw away the stack. You need the stack. <laughs> what you're saying is you I'm embed saying embed the stack in the information about your callable
1: Y- yes yes essentially the the type of things yeah. that need to be carried around from uh, from like a coroutine type basis where you can be re-entered multiple times you end up lifting those variables into its own data structure um <laughs> and yeah
0: brave new world <laughs> there you go or brave old world as the case may uh, be.
1: essentially yeah that's it's, uh, this okay. all of, all like i said this is all very old stuff
0: all right so that's it that's it we will see you next time